God, it's been good. We've had some great messages. But we get a whole day now of some more. So y'all ready to jump into the Word? Amen. Our message is titled, The Remnant is Dangerous to the Enemy. Everybody say remnant. Look, we're going to give you some uh, Strong's definitions of that. Nobody's done that yet. So we're going to kind of put a couple of Strong's numbers together. And the definition you get from the three that I'm going to give you is a group of men and women in Denton, Texas, that eradicate the enemy. New life is uh, honored to be mentioned in the same sentence with the remnant church. We are greatly honored to be a part of this and to assist our brothers. We love you, Remnant. Hey, can we give those guys a hand? Yeah. Hallelujah. So the three Strong's numbers were 7604, 7605, and 7611. And you come up with this. A remainder or a residual, a surviving final portion or a residue. And you find the word few. Everybody say few. few. Not many. Not many. That's what our church world today tries to teach us is the proper way, though is many, but we're going to find out today that it's only the few, only the remnant become dangerous to the enemy. It's never been about many, but we're going to pick up our story. We're going to look at a man that produced some disciples. His name was Moses. Moses started out with 600,000. Somebody say, that's a lot. Wow, that's a, that would be in the category of many, wouldn't it? Thank God somebody came along beside him, though, and his father-in-law, Jethro, and said, hey, hold on a second, Moses. That's a lot of people. It's going to be hard for you to disciple that many people. So let me give you some advice. Isn't it great that we have leaders that will give us advice? Especially our elders. Our pastors, we got to have them giving us advice. Jethro tells Moses, he says, hey, 600,000, that's a lot. Here's what you need to do. Choose some men. Disciple them so that they can help you carry the load. Isn't that what we're doing? Yes. We're creating disciples that will help us carry the load. They'll help us shoulder the burden. We're going to take a look at two of the disciples that Moses made. Then we're going to talk about some other guys throughout history that were discipled properly that became dangerous to the enemy. Because see, if you're not proper, properly discipled, you won't be dangerous at all. He did disciple a few men that became dangerous warriors. The first warrior we want to look at was Joshua. He's first mentioned in Scripture and he is leading a band of warriors in a fight. 
His name means the Lord saves or Yahweh is Savior. Isn't it appropriate that a man will conquer later Canaan appears first in a military role? Turn in our Bibles. We're going to look at Exodus 17, 9 through 13. Say there when you're there. Everybody like a good fight? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, you're in the wrong place. You better go to get one of them mega churches. You won't have to worry about fighting. Hey, we're in a fight. Say remnant when you get there. Exodus 17, verse 9. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with the Lamech. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let us down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and, he, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, and one on the other side, and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. He overwhelmed them, it says. He did exactly what his leader told him to do. Do you have trouble following advice from your leaders? Don't do that. You won't be able to accomplish. You won't be able to accomplish what God has called to accomplish in your life. Now let's take a look on how Joshua was discipled. Let's turn to Numbers 11. We're going to start in verse 24 through 28. Say remnant when you get there. Numbers 11, 24. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them around about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written, but went not out into the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and the servant of Moses, one of his young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. See, one of the signs of a Properly trained disciple is the zeal of the Lord. They want to do things right. They want to follow their leaders exactly. In verse 28, it says that he was Moses' attendant. He was his disciple, right? That word is the Strong's number 8334. It means the chief attendant 
to an authority figure. Chief attendant to an authority figure. Jesus teaches plainly in Matthew 26, 20, that whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. The discipleship process starts with you being a servant. Joshua served Moses. Everywhere Moses went, Joshua went. Moses went up on the mountain to get God's instruction. Joshua went. Moses went to the tent of meeting. Joshua went. You know what he did? He waited outside the door. He waited outside the door of the tent. Joshua was patient, allowing the discipleship process to work in his life. You see, it's a process. You have to allow it to work out completely. Or you'll miss some steps and you won't be trained properly. Allow the process to work in you and through you. You have to follow the, the instructions clearly from your leaders so that you can become dangerous to the enemy. So let's find out how dangerous Joshua became to his enemies. Let's turn to Joshua 10. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through 5. This is a great example for us of how we're supposed to be dangerous to the enemy. Joshua 10, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king. So he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. That they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, as one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent out Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Pyram, king of Jarmuth, and unto Japhia, king of Lachish, and unto Deber, king of Elgon, saying, Come unto me, and help me, that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites and the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmoth, and the king of Lachish, and the king of Elglon gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their host, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. Someone say five kings. When you are born from above and begin the discipleship process, you must quickly learn that you are in a spiritual battle against rulers and spiritual forces. Yes. Our enemy has the capability of bringing multiple rulers against you. That's right. Here in Joshua, we see five. The first king mentioned let us know exactly whose side they are on. Adonai Zedek is a false king pretending to be righteous. That's right. 
Sounds like the ultimate deceiver, Satan. He calls on his buddies to help him fight against God's people. We can learn from these names mentioned how Satan's strategy works. You want to find out Satan's strategy? If you want to defeat him and be dangerous to the enemy, you've got to know his strategy. Jerusalem, possession, foundation of peace. Hebron, community, society, friendship, and association. Jarmuth, height, elevation, calling. Lachish, undefeatable. Eglon, young bull, confidence. So we put that together. Satan and his rulers want to steal your peace. Satan and his rulers want to kill your friendships. Satan and his rulers want to destroy your calling. Uh oh. Satan and his rulers want to keep you from becoming undefeatable. Look Satan out. and his rulers want to steal your confidence. Look out. The truth is, these five kings have ruled over most of mankind for most of history. Sadly, even in the churches, some are being dominated by these demonic kings. But praise God! There's a remnant! A few! Only a few that will allow the process to make them into warriors that are not only dangerous to the enemy, their only desire is to eradicate the enemy. We don't let the enemy live. We're going to find that out in a few minutes. We eradicate the enemy. Y'all ready to see how this story finishes in, here in Joshua 10? Let's pick up in verse 6. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal. He and all the people of war. Somebody say people of war. We are people at war. All the people of war. And all the valiant warriors. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear. Amen. We've been talking about getting that cowardice out of us in this meeting, haven't we? Yeah. You know, Joshua got told that multiple times. Do not fear. We don't have a spirit of fear, the Bible says. He says, do not fear, for I have given them into your hands, and not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua, he came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. And he pursued them by the way of the accent of Beth Haran. And struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it came about as they fled from Israel. While they were at the descent of Beth Haran. That the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah. And they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day. When the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said, in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon, in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves on their enemies. 
Wow, we find out that not only is Joshua dangerous to his enemies, he's dangerous to the elements. He takes authority over the elements and says, hey, you're going to help us today. Yeah. Who do you call on when you need some help? You're going to call on the Lord and say, hey, can you make the sun stand still? I don't want this battle to end. I want to finish it today. Too many times we drag it out when it should be done now. Finish the battle. Let's keep reading. Pick up in verse 14. There was no day like that before or after it. When the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. Now these five kings, these five kings that want to steal something from you. We serve an enemy, that's all he wants to do is steal something from you. (laughs) But we got authority to put our foot on his neck. And we can go back to his camp and take back what he stole from us. He's got no authority over you. These five kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave at Makeda. Yeah, there goes that manby-pamby Christian world. They're going to go run and hide, ain't it? And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and assign men to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies and attack them in the rear. Do not allow them to enter their cities. For the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. He's like, hey, let's finish this thing. Anytime you're in a battle, the the enemy's always wanting to try to put a little, uh uh-oh, in your path. A little distraction. Ah, Hey, let's let's put those guys in there and we'll deal with them later. That's it. That's something that you're going to have to learn on the battlefield. And it came about when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished slaying them with a very great slaughter until they were destroyed. And the survivors who remained of them had entered the fortified cities. That all the people returned to the camp to Joshua and Makeda in peace. No one uttered a word against any of the sons of Israel. Verse 22. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring these five kings out to me from the cave. Ah, this is where he's going to show them a little bit of mercy, isn't it? Oh, come on. We're supposed to be merciful and we're not supposed to judge anybody. That's what the pansy Christians would say. That's what they would say. But not a true disciple. A true disciple wouldn't say that. Especially one that's been properly trained through the teachings of his rabbi. Let's look at Deuteronomy 7. We're going to start in verse 16. Remnant. Verse 
verse 16. We're going to go through verse 24. And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eyes shall have no pity upon them. Someone say no pity. No pity. Neither, None. Neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. If thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. The great temptations which thine eyes saw, and the signs and wonders, and the mighty hand, and the stretched out arm, whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them unto they that are left and hide themselves from thee to be destroyed. Thou shalt not be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayst not consume them at once, lest the beast of the field increase upon thee. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee, and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into thy hand, and thou shalt destroy their name from under the heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until they have destroyed them. Did you see that? He's going to deliver their kings into whose hands? Come on, whose hands? In your hands. He's going to deliver the kings, the principalities, the rulers of this wicked, the wicked forces that we're in. He's going to deliver them into your hand so that you can do what? Slay them. Eradicate them. Amen. Let's go back to Joshua 10. We're going to start in verse 23 through 26. We've got to get the rest of the story from Joshua. Verse 23. And they did so and brought forth those five kings. Say five kings. Five kings. Unto him out of the cave, and the king of Jerusalem, and the king of Hebron, and the king of Jarmuth, and the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And it came to pass when they thought out of these kings unto Joshua, brought out of these kings unto Joshua. And Joshua called for all the men of Israel, and said unto the captains of the men of war, which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus shall the Lord do unto all your enemies against whom ye fight. And afterward Joshua smote them and slew them, and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. Joshua put his foot on the enemy's neck, not just mm. for a show, but to prepare them for death. And he then killed them. Are you prepared or trained to kill the enemy? We want to look at another disciple of Moses who was possibly also helped trained by Joshua, Caleb. Oh, let's talk about Caleb a little bit. Another disciple that was trained by Moses. Hey, let's pick up his story in Numbers, though. 
Numbers chapter 13. You know, it seems like there's been a pattern. We've been talking about some wicked kings, haven't we? Numbers 13, we'll pick up in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give you to the sons of Israel. You shall send out a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone as a leader among them. He's going around, he's going to pick the leaders. He's going to pick the men that have been trained for this. Look on down to verse 6. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. In verse 8, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. I didn't go all the way through all of the 12 tribes because there's a reason for that. We'll get to that in a second. Skip on down to verse 30. Now the rest of the story in between there, I'm sure you've understand it as this is when they went in and they spied out the land. One leader from each tribe. Now they've come back and they're giving a report. Let's see how that turns out. Pick up in verse, did I say 30? All right, 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And he said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it. For we shall surely overcome see somebody that's properly discipled knows their strength knows that they are able to overcome the kings and the principalities and the rules that come against you they absolutely know how to overcome that if they're trained properly but the men who had gone up with him these are the other guys we're not able to go up against the people for they're too strong for us what happened to these guys in their discipleship training? Hmm. Let's find out. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in, spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. They're part of the Nephilim. And we, came, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Look, right here we have a good example of a remnant. There was 12 that got picked. But there's only two that were trained properly that came back and gave a good report. And Caleb's telling them, he's pointing out their problem. He's pointing out the ones that were properly uh, discipled. He's pointing out the problem they got. Did y'all catch it with me? They had a grasshopper mentality. A what? They had a grasshopper mentality. Well, what does that mean? Well, uh, you'd have to understand something about a grasshopper to figure out what a grasshopper mentality is. A grasshopper has five sets of eyes on the front of his head. He's got some sensors on the two backs of his legs. But one thing a grasshopper does not have is any ears. And faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. Maybe these other guys that had a grasshopper mentality weren't hearing the Word enough, and they weren't trained enough because they didn't have enough of God's Word in them. 
If you don't have enough of God's word in you, you'd just be hopping around like a grasshopper with no faith. Oh, the Lord told me to do this. I'm just going to jump over here, and I'm going to jump over here. You ain't going to accomplish nothing. You'll be defeated in your own eyes before you ever get started. We got the Gehazi out of here yesterday. Today we're going to get the grasshopper mentality out of here. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word. Why do we have so many people in America today that have a grasshopper mentality? Nobody's preaching the word to them. Wow. And then they wonder why. Why are we going home for a couple of months and we're not meeting together? Because you ain't listening to the word. We found many scriptures to stand on. We listened to many words from our Heavenly Father when it came to all of that crazy stuff. We stood on them. We didn't go home. We didn't have a grasshopper mentality. We'll pick back up in Numbers 14, 5 through 9. Still speaking about Caleb, by the way. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Two out of twelve. Two out of twelve. That's a remnant. That's only a few. These two had some amazing courage, though. Like we've been talking about yesterday. We've got to have courage. Our Father gives us a manly vigor. So that we can be dangerous to the enemy. We'll have the courage even to stand up to the rest that didn't have any faith. These two weren't able to persuade the masses, but did result in their salvation from God's judgment. Let's look at verses 33 and 38, still in Numbers 14. Verse 33. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of days in which ye search the land, even forty days each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities. Even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all of this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and they shall, di- they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, 
who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. That's only a few. There's, no, there's that remnant. Yep, a remnant. Say remnant. Deuteronomy. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 1, verse 32 through 38. Come on, y'all are awful quiet. Let's stir up some, some noise in here. It's okay to say amen. Maybe y'all need to talk to James. Tell him, bring it! <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this mountain of a man. Mountain! We've been anointed yes. We thank you for what you're doing here today. Mighty, hey, stand up. Stand up and stretch out your hands. Who wants to stand out as a man who will stand against every enemy of God? Then pray with vigor for this group as they encourage us. Who from the remnant church is going to run down here, not remnant, arising and pray for us now? Which one? Oh, come on, Rich. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you are raising up an army, an army that's going to go forth and, and it's going to conquer, conquer the, the, what the enemy has stolen from us. And we, are going to, and we are going to be victorious because you, Lord, are giving us direction and you, Lord, are the one who is giving us life in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah! Amen. Y'all feel good now after your stretch? Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 1, 32-38. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, and fire by night to show ye by the way you should go, and in a cloud by day. And the Lord heard the voice of your words, and was wroth and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your forefathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath Holy followed the Lord. Yes. Also the Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, Thou also shalt not go in thither. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in there. 
Yes. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Yes. Amen. Only a few. Remnant. Only a few. When at first there were many, if you are trained properly, how long will you remain a threat to the enemy? Come on, how long? How long will you remain a threat to the enemy? Yes. Until you step into eternity, no quitting, no stopping, no backing up or shutting up. Yeah. Yeah, there's no quitting. Until you step into eternity, no quitting, no stopping, no backing up or shutting up. Yeah. 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 We're not going to stop, are we? No. We're not going to quit, are we? No. I don't care what it looks like. Amen. I refuse to quit. Yeah. Absolutely refuse to quit. Yeah. Hey, but Caleb kind of gives us a, a real beautiful picture of how this looks. Back in Joshua 14. In Joshua chapter 14, when you find it, say remnant. This is where they're getting their inheritance. They're divvying up the land for the 12 tribes. This is what's taking place here in uh, Joshua chapter 14. Pick up with me in verse 1. Now these are the territories which with the sons of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel apportioned to them for an inheritance. They fought for their inheritance. They were dangerous to the enemy that was trying to steal their inheritance. Are you going to eradicate the enemy before he steals your inheritance? Yes. Verse 2. By the lot of their inheritance... As the Lord commanded through Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. Hey, scroll down to verse 6. Then the sons of Judah draw near to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jehunah, the Kenazite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea? what you might know as modern-day Hebron. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me, they made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. That was the grasshopper group, right? So Moses swore on that day, saying... Surely the land on which you, your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you, to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Amen. And now behold, this is still Caleb speaking, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. When Israel walked in the wilderness, 
And now behold, I'm 85 years old today. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. I'm still as strong. And my strength is the same. It's strong for war, for going in, and for coming out. Now then, give me this hill country, which the Lord spoke about on that day, for you heard that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. When Caleb went in, he was 40. He's now 85. And he's saying, look, my strength is still the same. Elder Charlie, I'm praying that today you'll feel as strong as you did when you were 40. And that when you get to 85, a Caleb-type anointing will come over you, and you'll still slay giants around you. I'm 53. I feel like I'm 23. Why? Because I have the strength of the Lord, and I'm ready to conquer some giants. And when I get to 85, I'm going to watch my children inherit the things that God has promised for them. They're going to take the land that God gives them. Your children are going to take the land that, they, that God gives them through you. But you must remain strong. You must be still in the process of discipleship and being trained up so that you can remain dangerous to the enemy all the days of your life. Remember, there's no quitting. Hey, we're going we're gonna to check out a couple of more guys that were dangerous to the enemy. Y'all ready to do that? All right, we're going we're gonna to look at Elijah and Elisha. Yeah. Did y'all know that Elijah, his name means Yahweh is my God? Yahweh is my God. There's not much known about his background. It's kind of interesting. He kind of just showed up suddenly, didn't he? He disappeared that way too, didn't he? You know what? Sometimes God will send a pure prophet of the Lord and he'll just show up suddenly. Because you need a little correction in your discipleship process. You need a little adjustment. See, God can cause somebody to show up suddenly and bring that to you. You see... Elijah showed up as a true prophet of God. He wasn't just a trained disciple. And he was sent to deal with a wicked king whose name was Ahab. See that pattern? It's been following through these messages. Seems like all these kings are wicked. You know, the Bible says that when the wicked rule, the righteous groan. Are you groaning today because of the wickedness in our nation? Are you groaning because of the, the rulers that we have today? They're not, they don't have the morals. They don't have the proper training from the kingdom. They're after their own agendas most of the time. They're not righteous. They're wicked. I'm just going to say it. I don't care who they are. There will always be wicked, wickedness that you have to deal with. Always. Always. We will. Excuse me. We find out quickly that Elijah was dangerous to the enemy, but also to the elements, just like Joshua was. Really? Wow, he was dangerous to the elements as well? Yes. Wow. We're going to find out in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. 
verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was out of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Wow. He, he, what did he do? He pronounced a drought, didn't he? He says, hey, by my word. <laughs> he knew his king. He had that kind of relationship with him that he could tell the elements to stop, just like Joshua did. How good of a relationship do you have with your king? We also learn that not only was he dangerous to the wicked kings and the element, Elijah was even dangerous to death itself. What? He was even dangerous to death itself? Amen. Wow. Let's go down to verse 17 through 22. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Someone say, no breath. No breath. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and delay my son, slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out. And they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. The story goes on to say that Elijah struggled in prayer. Three times he fell upon the boy, and he struggled in prayer. Have you been trained properly on how to struggle in prayer? Because sometimes you're going to need to learn to struggle in prayer. And sometimes it might take you all night, and you might be on the other side of the world. But you better know how to struggle because somebody else's life depends on it. If you have been properly trained, then you, then we are also dangerous even to the sting of death. Wow. We are dangerous not just to the enemy, but we're dangerous to the sting of death. Mark 16, starting in verse 16, it says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Are there any believers in here today? Yeah. yeah. It says, in my name, they will cast out demons. That's dangerous to the enemy. They will speak with new tongues. That's unknown to the enemy. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. That's undefeatable. They will lay hands on the sick, and they might recover. No. No. No, 
If you've been properly trained as a disciple, you shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We are dangerous not only to the enemy, but we're dangerous to sickness and death and demons. We also learned from Elijah that he felt like he was the only one left, a remnant. A remnant. Wow. Let's look at 1 Kings 18, 21 through 22. We're going to find out he said that twice. He felt like he was the only one left. Twice. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long hath ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Wow. He felt like he was alone. Let me just encourage you with something. We are not alone. Amen. We are not alone. We are 600 strong in the one association. We are not alone. Even if we feel like we're alone, we're not alone. Because our Father is with us. And He goes before us. Was there a second one? Then, then again, before He begins training a new disciple, 1 Kings 19, we're going to start in verse 14. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God. Of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be the king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the Elisha. son of Shaphat, of Abel, Abel Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in thine room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. And yeah! Yeah! And every mouth which has not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with twelve. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again. 
for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and he took the yoke of oxen and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he rose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Wow, that brings us to Elisha. He took care of business first. He burned everything that he needed to burn. He got rid of everything that was going to be a hindrance to him. He got rid of it. Are you getting rid of the things in your life today that are a hindrance to what God wants to do? Are you getting rid of the hindrances that are, that are stopping you from following your leaders? Following their advice? Is there something that you need to burn today? That brings us to Elisha. Elisha bears a striking re resemblance to his rabbi. Elisha and Elijah, their names kind of sound similar, don't they? He bears a very striking resemblance to his rabbi. Isn't that the mark of a properly trained disciple? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. We want to be just like our rabbi. We want to be just like Jesus, don't we? Really? That didn't sound convincing. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? Yeah. Then let's burn away everything that stops us from being like him. You know, not only did their names sound alike, but the main events of their lives run much in the same channel. They're kind of like twin figures in Hebrew history, which we will see again in the book of Revelation when there's two witnesses standing before the earth. They both struck the waters of Jordan and passed through on dry ground. They both brought waters of refreshing in times of drought. They both increased a widow's store of food. They both raised someone's only son back to life. They were king over death. They were king over the elements. They both performed miracles for people outside the boundaries of Israel. They both pronounced sentences on wicked kings. They both called down vengeance on the unbelievers. And in spite of all these resemblances, we want to mention that Elisha was not just a mere echo of his fiery rabbi. There was a marked difference. Elijah was a solitary figure like John the Baptist. His life was largely spent in unveiling struggle with evil in his, of his times. What? Are you struggling with evil of your day, or do you turn a blind eye to it? Come on. Come on, you should be vexed in your spirit with the evilness of our day. Are you struggling in prayer against it? Or like James said, are you turning a blind eye to it? Where's that manly figure to face these things? We have to face them. Maybe we need a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ today so that we can stand before the wickedness of our time. Elisha, with his double portion, spent his life triumphantly mingling with his fellow man. Because he was trained properly, he never complained of his lot, never fled from his enemies, never lost his courage. It was said about Elijah that he performed a greater number of miracles than any other prophet except Moses. What will be said about you after you finish your race? Wow. Hey, Elisha even discipled a few men. We've been hearing about some of them. You'll continue to hear about some of them. 
And we wanted to take a moment here to mention Gehazi as well. Because we did get the Gehazi out of here yesterday. There was some Gehazi in me that I had to get out yesterday. It's out. But I want to encourage the pastors and the leaders with something here, though, about Gehazi. Because I'm sure that every one of you would agree with me. That not everyone who gets discipled or goes through the discipleship training turns out well. You see, we found out that Gehazi had his own agenda. But listen to me, disciples. If you want to become dangerous to the enemy, then you must adopt the words of our rabbi Jesus. When he says, Jesus, it's not my will. It's not my will, but it's your will. See, that's, the, that's what we have to adopt. We can't have our own agenda because it's not about us. We'll end up getting the disease just like Gehazi did. Hey, we're going to move on to another remnant. Y'all want to hear about another remnant? We put 1 Kings 18, 21 back on the screen. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. What makes a man dangerous to the enemy? And what makes a man a coward that collapses before the enemy? It's certainly not our proficiency. No. It's certainly not innate talent or gifting. It's how fully committed you are to the Lord. Yeah. Could you put Deuteronomy 6.4? on the screen for just a minute. These brothers have hit on an excellent point I wanted I wanted to just sit on for a minute. Is that the Shema? Yeah. Well, hold it. Yes, please. I need to see it while you quote it, but please quote it. Deuteronomy 6.4 Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Amen. Do you hear that the Lord, the Lord our God is one? Yeah. You could think of that as a single thing. Except we know that the Lord is plurality. Yes. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, however you think about that. So why does he have Israel wake up every single day? And speak this phrase. Because he's not of two opinions about anything. I mean not, not anything. When the Lord says it, it settles it. He doesn't sit and weigh out the consequence. If you want to become dangerous to the enemy. The reason that Elisha burns his plow to follow Elijah. Is that. He's now of a singular opinion. He knows what he must do. And he's not going to back up from it. 
He knows it. Have you found out some things this weekend that you now know and cannot back up from? Is there another opinion competing with it, though? Is somewhere inside of you, are you fighting with kings of compromise? Are you fighting with Gehazi principles? And I mean, they're mostly dead. You made a commitment right here to put them to death, but they're echoing in you somewhere. The great turning point in these men's ministry is that they became of singular opinion. And the only thing that they could really be discouraged about, Eric and James have just touched on. They thought they were the only ones that way. What if you could look to your left and right and see that the person was every bit as committed to the kingdom as you are? You know what these events are for me? They're that. Because I remember what it was to invite my neighbors to a meeting and nobody came. I remember what it was to be singularly committed to a task God has given. Die trying. But be complaining. Lord, I'm all alone. Look around you. Would you guys stand to your feet? We have a chance. We have a chance right here, right now, to solidify two things. Our commitment to becoming dangerous to the enemy. And our commitment to standing with each other. We have that chance right now. These brothers are preaching in Victoria, Texas in an abandoned liquor store. And they feel very much alone at times. Is that true? But you're not alone, are you? Are you guys singularly committed to what you're doing? They are singularly committed to what they're doing. Do you stand with them? Do you have any idea how powerful it is when there is no wavering in us do you know that this is how Romans 4 defines the faith of Abraham who did not waver through unbelief but became fully persuaded God had the power to perform what he promised do you know that that's what these conferences are actually about you're not alone in your commitment There may not be 7,000 here today, but there will be. It's our job to get them. Let's spend these next few minutes of worship solidifying our commitment to two things, to becoming dangerous to the enemy and to standing with each other. Father, we're giving you this time. We are thanking you for this time. Lord, you have given us a very great and precious example. You have shown us how to put our foot on the neck of the enemy. You have shown us how to get the compromise out of our hearts. 